Wonder Things Studios proudly presents Archivos Brainstorms, episode 118. Literary Alchemists. I'm Alistair Stewart. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned into the Archivos Podcast Network Brainstorm. Yes, exactly. On the Archivos Brainstorms podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and <laughs> our esteemed guest host. And then we go Tony Stark on it. You know that good <laughs> bit? The good bit in all three of those movies where he's playing with something it's usually a thruster maybe a suit and he's all like hey jarvis english artificial intelligence guy blow this up into weird cool looking bits of hologram and he does it that's what we do just verbally and with stories and it's great oh it always God. ends up with us finding one thing what thing do we find dave literary gold or a Badass suit. One of the two. I'm good with either, honestly. Uh, uh, an yeah, awesome writing suit or literary gold. I'm good. Me too. <laughs> and me three. As, <laughs> me three. And it's unanimous. We have an accord. And friends, as always, the Archivos Podcast Network shows are brought to you by our sponsor, Archivos. I know. What a shock. The story development and presentation tool for today's storytellers. Find out more at archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Badassery awaits you on the other side of that URL. Uh, Al, welcome back, man. Another another round of writerly awesomeness with you by my side. It must be Christmas or a very, very happy new year to have that happen, man. It's great to have you back on the show. Great to be here, Dave. How you doing? Uh, I'm grinning. I'm going to, although I just, I just changed out of my customary flannel for this time of year and have donned the Hawaiian shirt because as you have no doubt observed when you're brainstorming, it gets hot in here. So mm. I, I am dressed for the occasion with floral patterns and toucans. So yeah. <laughs> let's let's roll into this. Let's bring our guest host back, friends, fresh from an astonishing 20 minutes-ish of, of incredible conversation. Please <laughs> welcome back to the big chair here at the Archivos Podcast Network, Kidge Johnson. Kidge, many hello of us- Hello, world. Hello, world. Hello, listeners. Uh, all of those listeners, by the way, are are still reeling from the revelations and delights of, of that 20 minutes with conversation from a week ago, but ma'am, I am so chuffed, as they say in the UK, chuffed at the prospect of, of brainstorming a story with you, ma'am. Thank you so much for making the time. Well, thank you for inviting me. I, this is going to be a, a romp. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm sorry to say that, Richard, but it's going to be a romp. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, there will be froth. There will be froth there will and be. stuffs. Before we get into that, though, I, I've, I've got to ask, Kidge, with, with this wonderful legacy of, of writerly exploration and adventure behind you, I'm, I'm deeply curious, what is coming up in the world of Kidge Johnson? I was so busy for years, and I just finished my uh, tenure packet, which means that I can now put on the soft pants and uh, <laughs> stop wearing eye makeup. But uh, my, I just, I just finished a, a short story which Clark's World is putting out called "Tool Using Mimics," and uh, which is inspired by a piece of art by the artist Laura Christensen. 
And I'm super happy about that. I've got a novelette that keeps bleeding into novella territory, and then I edit it, and it gets back into a novelette um, that I'm still finishing up, which uh, I know that Jonathan Strahan is waiting not very patiently for. So, so I've been enjoying working on shorter pieces for a little while, but I'm starting to get my fingers itchy for a longer project again. Ooh, excellent. excellent. Anything, any, any indication of what that might be? It'll probably have killing. <laughs> there will be death. Okay, good. There will be death. I can't imagine <laughs> writing something without death, but but well, I've, I've got a bunch of ideas. Um, one is that I've been thinking about doing a, a historical gothic, uh, which would be a lot of fun. Mm. Uh, but I have a lot of other options, too. You do. The sky, the, the, the literary genre is your oyster. You may pluck from it as My you will. My oyster. Your oyster. <laughs> um, what about conventions, kids? Do you make the con circuit? I don't do the usual con circuit, but I do go to things periodically. In March, I'm going to be at the International Conference for the Fantastic in the Arts, mm. which is in Orlando. Right. And that's always a lot of fun. I'll be doing a reading there. In January, I'll be in Houston and I'll do a reading at Brazos Bookstore and a two-day workshop with Chris McKitterick, who's the director for the Center for the Study of Science Fiction on writing science fiction. And then in June, my summer workshops will happen in Kansas. And after that, in July, I am the guest of honor for the Swedish National Convention, which is pretty oh, exciting. Man. And and a perfect time to be in Sweden, too, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Holy crap. Uh, I, I will make sure all of that gets in the liner notes, kids. That's awesome. I, I do you. have to ask one quick question. Um, tool using mimics. Now, here is my deep deep D&D nerdery coming out. When you say mimics, are you referring to the creatures that dress up like chests and eat player characters? No, no, oh, but that okay. would have been great. No, it's about cephalopods. Cephalopods. Um, Still very cool. Also tool using mimics, but actually, yeah, D&D mimics would have been fantastic. <laughs> it's such a I nerd. wish I had thought of that. <laughs> it's yours. I give it to you, Gidge, free. Not too late. Go for it. <laughs> Uh, Al, what about you, man? It has been far too long since you've been on. I'm, I, I, I almost, you know, we need to bring you back as a guest host just so I can recount the awesomeness <laughs> of recent years uh, in a proper Robison intro. But for now, let, let's cast our eyes ahead, good sir. What's coming up in your world? Okay. Um, I have <laughs> two and a half role-playing projects, which are probably going to kick off 2018. Wow. Wow. Uh, one is a, a short science fiction module. One is a long campaign. Um, the half one isn't quite, isn't quite locked in yet. There is a thing which will, which makes my inner 12-year-old jump up and down on the bed screaming, yes, <laughs> um, because it hasn't quite happened, but is in the process of happening. Um, I just launched my newsletter, which is basically an excuse for me to talk about all the stuff I'm not currently paid to talk about anywhere else. <laughs> and what else do you use a newsletter for, really? The simple existence of this thing is absolute stark proof that you should never talk shit on Twitter. Because, uh, <laughs> I, I, seriously, about two, three months ago, I, I put something up on this. I, I was... I really love narrative architecture. I really love how serial TV in particular unfolds over time and how you can... It ultimately maps onto musical composition when it's done really mm -hmm. well. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. 
And I was talking about this, and 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 I I tweeted something like, "See, this is why I don't have a newsletter because it would be called an another fucking thing, and all it would be a narrative architecture." Fifty three. Yeah, I'd resp- I'd read that. Mail messages later, I was like, "Okay, I probably have to do this now." So I'm a month in, and um, it's actually it's very it's very good discipline. You know, it's something I, I work on it. I do one thing a day, Monday to Friday, and Friday I send it. And it's helping me deal with short form stuff, and it's helping me deal with um, formatting, and it's getting stuff out of my head. And the thing which I'm finding it actually really helps with is I have a tendency to run long. I no. Have, <laughs> I'm I know. I'm shocked. Um, and I know exactly what it comes from. It's it, it is a cultural panic reflex because I grew up on a tiny ass island in the middle of the ocean, and I was one of two nerds for seventy miles, and an ocean was half of that. So anytime <laughs> I hit something you know, I, I really like, I invested in, instinctively have to talk about all of it all at once, all at the same time, because that's the only way that I can do it. Because that way, no one will. Because I'll, I'll probably never get the opportunity to do it to do it ever again. <laughs> And I'm a decade into working as a journalist in this field, and people are literally paying me to do it. So I should maybe get over myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm finding the newsletter is really helpful for that. But that's going to continue into 2018. There's the role-playing stuff, which is ongoing. There's the super special secret project. There's actually two of those. Um, I will be busy, which is exactly what I, I want <laughs> to be and so it's all good. And that's how we want you to be. Absolutely. Where where can people sign up for the newsletter, Al? If you go to my homepage, which is the imaginatively titled alistairstewart.com, uh, a pop-up will appear there, which will sign you straight up. And it, it only comes out once a week. I'm not going to be in your inbox every day, I promise. And and even if you were, Al, I'm okay with that. I really am. Oh. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Dude, that's awesome. That's very cool. And I feel you, man. I, my, for me, it's it's the dread terror of being misunderstood. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that when caller ID or when call waiting came out, it's like, thank God I'll never miss another call. Uh, uh, and also m- wanting to be understood and not misunderstood. So you must go long just to make sure you cover all the damn bases. I feel exactly. you. Exactly. I feel you. Well, look, this all of that's going to go into the liner notes. That's fabulous. Here, here's what I'd like to do right now. Gang, I would love to pause and and give some podcast airtime to our sponsor, Archivos, uh, uh, and promote them just a bit. But when we come back, Kidge, Al, I would love to brainstorm a story with you. What do you say? I'm why, yes. Why, yes. That's kind of why we're here. Awesome. That's Very why cool. I'm here. <laughs> Friends, don't you go anywhere. We'll be right back. Archivos. The new story development application from WonderThing Studios will change the way you look at stories. Archivos takes a different approach to documenting your story setting. While most wikis and storytelling frameworks focus on documenting the elements of your stories, Archivos is more interested in the connections between those story elements. It's the relationships between characters and places and events that express the true structure and allure of your stories. As a storyteller, that's the awareness you need to strengthen and refine the crafting of your stories. Archivos really is the story development tool for today's storytellers. Learn more about Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos. Your stories. 
illuminated. Welcome back, dear friends, and now we get down to the business at hand. The reason, certainly, why we're here, and the reason I'm betting why you're here. The story brainstorm. And that does not happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding boldly forward to the slightly less comfortable writer's chair here in the studio. And friends, our guest writer for this episode of Archivos Brainstorms is a UK-based writer who has written several novels currently in submission. His short story, A God's Mercy, won the 2016 Remastered Words Audio Anthology Competition and, interesting sidebar, one of the prizes for the Remastered Words Competition winners that year was a brainstorm on this podcast. So, fulfillment takes a long damn time, but we do pull it off, by God. Uh, but his writerly adventures do not end at long-form narratives. Oh, no. He also co-writes screenplays with his writing partner. Their short film, Snug as a Bug, was produced by Q Pictures earlier this year, and another script is currently in production with Random Clock Productions. And on top of that, God, this sounds like a stalkerish intro. He's a former events coordinator of the British Fantasy Society. He reviews fiction and judges an award category for the British Fantasy Society. Holy crap. Friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the Archivos Podcast Network, Richard Webb. Richard, I, I, my, my heart breaks that it took so long to get you here. And, and I am so delighted that you did, especially knowing that it, it takes cojones to put your baby up for scrutiny, no matter how many times you've done it. Dude, I, I deeply appreciate you, uh, your patience and your courage, sir. Thank you. Hi, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to uh, losing my brainstorm virginity with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never heard it quite put that way, Richard. But Be uh, gentle with me. <laughs> <laughs> no promises, man. No promises. But, you know, we're all, we're all here for the good of the story. So I, I hopefully it'll all work out well in the end. Dude, let's roll into this. I'm, I'm chuffed. I can't stop using that word. I'm chuffed, I say, to, uh, to, to get into this. You know how this works, man. We give you five to eight minutes. You give us the title, the genre, your target audience, the format. Give us a tagline to introduce us to the, the basic concept of the story. Give us some themes if you've got those. Uh, introduce us to the world and the characters. Give us the basic tent poles of the story and we will be rocking the brainstorm cowboy horse thing. So, <laughs> it's not getting worse, Dave. That, uh, that just <laughs> failed epically. I'm done. I'm getting out of the way. Richard, help me out, man. The mic is all yours. Thanks very much, Dave. Uh, so, Kidge, Al, I'm going to take a deep breath and pitch straight in. Okay. So, uh, the story is a sci-fi crime action short called Taking It to the Man and is aimed at an adult audience. The hook line is, two agents discover they've both been separately sent on the same mission to retrieve a data chip. Forced to work together, only one can deliver it to the boss and get paid. When they both receive a kill order on each other, will they square off? Or will they figure out who their real enemy is by working together? So the theme really is about trust and how to be trusted when the stakes shift from getting paid to getting out alive. The setting is an alternate Earth many decades from now, a high-tech future of all-pervasive connectivity, biometrics, augmented reality, transhumanism, and that's some of the things that I explore within the story. The action takes place in a fairly generic large metropolis. The setting isn't really, at this point, crucial to the story. 
The characters uh, are as follows. The main protagonist is Yavi. Uh, she's female, late 20s. She's an agent for an underworld boss, Absalom Bethlehem. She's sometimes acting as thief, bodyguard, spy, enforcer, fence, even assassin for him. Any kind of off-the-record activities he requires. And she's very dependable. She's discreet, but also... So far, pretty much untroubled by the moral grayness of some of the actions she undertakes. She's very athletic, very confident and self-reliant. She plans her missions in a great deal of detail. She's fitted with a bio-tracker, as are all of Bethlehem's agents, so he can track their whereabouts. And that's something that becomes quite uh, important to the story as we move through. However, she's also pretty over-reliant on her physical prowess and the high-tech equipment that she utilizes. So uh, she's not so instinctive necessarily. She's a bit reliant on the, the technology. She's also very competitive and uh, very reluctant to let other agents or adversaries get the better of her. But she really needs this payday. She's in debt. She needs to support her partner and family. And she's very anxious about losing out on the big contracts uh, and getting too far into debt to hold the family together. So through the story, her arc really is about going from her utter certainty about herself as a solo operative into realizing maybe she doesn't have all the answers and there are other ways of uh, acting within this world. The secondary lead character is Zeresque, also female, early 40s, also an agent for Absalom. She's astute, doesn't trust her boss. Uh, in contrast to Yavi, she works more by instinct than planning, being more reliant on her wits and on improvisation uh, and her experience from years in the field. Uh, she doesn't have the same physical prowess or agility, so is much more intuitive, reliant on her cunning and so on. But her heart really isn't any longer in the game. Uh, she's getting jaded, she's got no family, very little to show outside of her, her role as an agent from many years of doing dark deeds on behalf of Absalom. She's very aware she's got a fast approaching sell-by date as an agent, so she's really seeking that big final payday and the exit door. And, and her fear is before she gets out of the game that the sins of her past activities could come back to haunt her in some way. So her conscience is continuously pricked by being in this environment for so long. And through the story, she changes from seeking that final big score to maybe seeking some kind of redemption and is in the end, willing to self-sacrifice in order to save somebody else. The primary antagonist is Absalom Bethlehem. He's 50s, uh, he's an underworld crime overlord. He's built his empire based on exploitative criminal enterprises. He's corrupted authorities, crushed rivals. He's a dangerous man, but now he's seeking legitimacy and a more public kind of profile. So coming to the main plot beats, uh, we start with Yavi breaking into a high security facility. She's been tasked with stealing an info chip for Absalom. On the way, she finds several dead bodies, one of whom she recognizes as a fellow agent of Absalom's, and she finds this pretty disturbing. But by stealth and strategy, she moves through the building uh, into its server room, but finds another woman is already there and has in her hand the info chip she's been sent for. Yavi challenges her, but the woman, Zuresk, swallows it. So we have a stalemate. Yavi is furious, but doesn't really know how to respond to this unexpected situation. At that moment, the security alarm is triggered. They've got seconds to leave before being overrun by guards. Yavi has no time to shoot Zuresk to retrieve the file, so she forces her to leave with her at gunpoint. 
They try to sneak out. Guards snipe at Yavi. Zuresk, having already been frisked by Yavi, draws a concealed weapon from about her person and takes the guards out, effectively saving Yavi's life. Yavi still holds her at gunpoint, leads her out of the building to a dark back alleyway, intending to kill her and retrieve the info chip from within her. Zuresk starts talking at this point, says something isn't right about this mission. She was also sent to retrieve the same file by Absalom. She's also one of his agents, she reveals. She's able to regurgitate the chip. She hands it over, but asks Yavi to think what information could possibly be so important that Absalom wants this chip. They argue, they come close to a fight, but in the end, curiosity wins out. They call a truce. And though they don't exactly trust each other at this point, this is the first moment at which they begin to cooperate and share some information. At that same moment, they both receive through their comms devices a hit notice, each on the other one. Yavi draws her needle gun on Zeresk, but immediately starts feeling strange and falls unconscious. Zeresk had anticipated this and had already drugged her. Yavi awakes with pain in her neck, but is otherwise okay. Her bio tracker has been removed, so... In effect, Absalom will believe that she's dead. So we could see that Zuresk has, in effect, saved Yavi again by freeing her from Absalom's control. He can no longer monitor her. Uh, he'll assume she's already been killed by Zuresk. So, yes, Zuresk might have saved Yavi, but it also looks like she's betrayed her. She's the one that's got the chip. She's going to take it uh, to Absalom and get the big payday. Juresk has the showdown with Absalom in his penthouse office. Juresk knows he has ambitions of a position in politics and a, a, a kind of civic profile, and she's realized that he's tidying up his loose ends. Of course, those loose ends include his former agents that have done all these dark deeds for him in the past. Absalom when confronted by Juresk admits he wanted to keep his own hands clean, now he's washing them for the last time. They were also, so he sent all his agents on the same mission in the hope that they would all be killed or kill each other in the facility. Zuresk also guesses correctly that he triggered the security alarm and sent the hit requests to kill each other when he knew there would only be two of them left in the hope that they would either kill each other or there might only be one survivor. That survivor is Zuresk and she's come to Absalom in the full expectation that she will not survive. She's his last loose end. She's knowingly walked into a trap, but she's done so in order to sacrifice herself so Yavi can live. She hopes that some good has come out of her years of doing someone else's evil, and she wants to be done with it and hope in her final act, an act of kindness, that she might get some kind of redemption. However, this confrontation is witnessed by Yavi through her long-distance scope. She snipes Absalom and his henchmen just in time to save Zuresk from being executed. So now she's repaid her debt to an extent. She's now saved Zuresk's life, but they have no employer, no payday. So do they team up? Do they compete? So that's the basis of the story plot points. I really want it to be uh, a kind of fast-paced SF actioner exploring themes of trust and cooperation and risk and reward and sacrifice and personal debt. Uh, also a little bit uh, the clash of youth versus experience and how that plays out. Uh, so I'm very open to any thoughts, suggestions, questions, and so on. Awesome. Thanks. No, brilliant. Marvelous. Superb pitch, sir. So um, what specifically are you hoping for us to drill down to during this next uh, half hour or so of brainstorming? 
Well, to be perfectly honest, I, I don't really have a fixed idea of the medium for this. Okay. Um, I had some thought that it's a short story, but actually the more I was working on the pitch, it felt like it could potentially be a graphic novel. It feels like it could have the legs again, potentially, if things go well, for it to be an origin story of some format. Yeah. I want it to be very visual, very kinetic, so it, it kind of feels like it could also be uh, screen-based in some way. So um, any thoughts on, on what might work for it would be good. But really, I think the thing that I will find a challenge is making sure that the beats of the central relationship between Yavi and Zaresk work, because there's quite a lot that happens in a fairly short space of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thoughts? Richard, I don't think you're going to have a shortage of. I think you're about to get a whole bunch of those. Uh, uh, this is this is fabulous, man. Awesome. And, and, and I want to get into the brainstorm, but we can't just yet. Alistair, would you be so kind as to cover our tuckus, please? Absolutely. Richard, you are about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. Every time I do one of these, I like to think of a montage in a different film. And this time around, the montage that strikes me is the hacking sequence from War Games. What's going to happen across the course of the next half hour or so is the three of us are going to dial in our, on our acoustic modems, get inside your story, and persuade it to ask us if we want to play a game. And at the end of that game, what what, what we will find is that the only way to win is to try some new stuff. But remember... We might be wrong. We might inadvertently cause fictional nuclear war. This is your story, and you decide what to use and what to cast aside. Everything we say could be wrong, but it might not be. So buckle up. Okay, very good. <laughs> awesome. Our butts have never been covered with so much style before. That's so marvelous. Yes. I'd love it if you would come to my novel workshop and say that to everybody. <laughs> That would be great. We can actually record that and just have you That's play it. Perfect. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Let's dive into this. Um, we always start with a quick once around the table uh, to just highlight some key points, ask some questions uh, of clarification, because that was a lot of information very quickly. So, and we always start with our guest host. So, Kids Johnson, if you would be so kind, lead us off. What are your What are your first impressions of Richard's story, and and what questions of clarification do you have? It's really hard for me to start with first impressions because I always jump immediately to the second impression. (laughs) (laughs) You can go there by all means. I I, I definitely like the fact that we've got um, two protagonists. Uh, I know that uh, Richard's talking about them as being a primary and a secondary, but I'm not 100% convinced by that. Um, since the movement, uh, the main action in the story moves away from Yavi into Zaresk's point of view. Um, Um, I also... I'm really curious about uh, I'm noticing just sort of the structure of the story because I'm a structuralist first and foremost. We actually have five, six beats, which are Yavi breaking into the facility. And then beat two then is when she meets the other woman in the server room, which and the security alarm is triggered. Uh, beat three then is them trying to sneak out and the sort of uh, back and forth of the concealed weapon. 
That ends with basically Zeresk knocking out Yavi, which means that beat four, like four is actually a Yavi awakening, finding out the thing is gone, which is a very short leg. Then we move into leg five, which is the big Zeresk Absalom encounter. And then six is, again, a very short sequence, which is Yavi taking out Absalom. So noticing that, I'm noticing some sort of pacing questions, and I'm also noticing that when you asked what genre this probably is meant to be, it does feel very much like the first third of a uh, the first episode of a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I wouldn't say it's even a half an hour right now because there's, in spite of what Richard said, there's not actually a lot going on. There's a lot of movement, but not a lot of advancement in terms of story and, and right, right, yeah. or character, right. Right, right. Okay, awesome. Any any questions, kids, that that weren't clear uh, in the in the Pritch presentation? No, I thought he did a marvelous job of explaining this story. I thought um, so too. I, I have some questions about whether that's the theme. Certainly, that's the what I would call the surface theme, but I don't see that that's necessarily one what this i mean that is that's the element that drives the action in this story but it doesn't i don't know that it says anything about who these people are yeah yeah and and i think i think when we dive into the the proper brainstormage uh Mm -hmm. i think that's one of the first things to dive into uh uh, immediately followed by some character revelations Um, yeah awesome cool al what about you man first impressions and any questions for richard first impressions on this i always come from the fields i've worked in and the two primary fields I've worked in are I was a comic retailer for a long time and I'm still a comics journalist and I write about a lot of TV. I, I back edge up completely. This feels like a fantastic pilot episode. Mm-hmm. And later on, what I'd like to do is get into some potentially interesting interdependencies between your two protagonists. But the thing which I really want to focus on, because I think this might be something which is which would solve some of the pacing issues that Kedge pointed out and would also maybe make the case for this being a TV show quite compellingly. What is the central MacGuffin? What is the, right. central, thing? What is the central thing that all these agents are being sent to retrieve? Because whether or not you, t- you define that and whether or not you tie it off specifically, I think we'll say a lot about whether this is a short story or whether this is 15 short stories. Hmm. Because really, if, if, if it's an open-ended thing, then it becomes the, the core of season one. Uh, mm-hmm. other, otherwise, it's, it's a thing that hopefully will create some sort of tension and or resolution between, honestly, between Yavi and Zeres. Because Absalon is almost, is almost the MacGuffin of this particular episode. So. I want to just add something to what, what Alistair just said. Because um, the data chip, if the data chip is being presented as the MacGuffin, um, that it's that that also changes things because data chips uh, is that a is that a post-human or a transhuman story with data chips um, when reproduction in the cloud is so common and possible now? So that becomes a question: What is the real heart of this story? Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I agree. And that's that. You know, for for me, Richard, I really just. As Kid said, you presented this beautifully. I'm utterly intrigued. I like these characters. I think I can like them more, but I really like Yavi and I really like Zeresk. Um, I also love the name Absalon Bethlehem uh, and the notion of him dying at the end saddens me because we won't be able to see that name again. Um, but I do like that <laughs> name. Uh, the, the I'm always intrigued by <laughs> stories like this set in a science fiction framework uh, because... Uh, 
I guess the question becomes why? Mm-hmm. Uh, what exactly. is it about the the sci-fi framework that is required for this story? Because as I'm looking at this story, this could easily be in the 1950s. This could be a Fawford and Greymouser piece. Uh, this doesn't have to be sci-fi. Um, although the the notion of identity, the notion of uh, the opportunity for commentary on uh, technology and uh, human identity in that context, I think there's a lot of possibility here. But I think as it is, uh, uh, I think we need to decide why sci-fi, uh, if sci-fi, uh, and if so, find a way to anchor that more, more firmly in there. Um, the fact that Yavi has a partner and, uh, and a family, I immediately went, tell me more! Um, and I didn't, and, it, and there wasn't any more. So the fact that Yavi has a partner and a family, I think, that's one thing I want to hear more about. And that may pad the, the resume of the story a bit, but I want to hear more. I want to know more about Yavi's situation. Um, Zeresk, I'm cool with, with Zeresk being a little more mysterious because, as we all know, age and treachery will always win out over youthful enthusiasm any day. And I can say that because I'm 53 years old. Um, uh, for Absalon, I'm curious, uh, Richard, why is he a criminal? What, what is his goal in being a criminal and why does he want to go to legit? And I ask these questions because I'm looking for some sort of dark mirrored parallel that maybe we can tease out into Yavi or Zeresk's story. Yeah, it's a good question. And, and I debated how much I was going to build of that, uh, of, of his backstory, but also his, his future ambition. Uh, so I, I kept it a little bit vague just to keep the pitch, hopefully tight enough for, for, for the show. Understood. Um, for me, you know, I'm really interested in the power of corporation, particularly uh, corporation versus government. I think we're in a an era where we can see, particularly, you know, not naming internet giants that don't pay their taxes and, and can't be <laughs> effectively forced to do so by government, that they have, in effect, become above the law or at least setting the agenda for the law. And, and, and I kind of wanted to dig into that. This is a a guy who's acted like a criminal, but has actually, through criminal activities, begun to act like a corporation. You know, he's he's kind of a criminal brand in his own right. And that, that's, I guess that wasn't really in the pitch, but that was uh, in the intention. And he's getting to a point where he is the city. Um, you know, I think there's a kind of, resonance of, of, of what we've seen in, in, in Gotham stories and things like that. You know, that kind of ever-pervasive criminal presence that uh, is almost a mythology in its own right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really does play into the the role of Zeresk in the story. She's seen and contributed to that rise and that spread of his power and, and, and has realised um the, there's come a point where it's got to stop where he's he's too big he's too powerful um he's now kind of above the law in a way that he perhaps wasn't when she she was working for him in the past so i kind of felt that was interesting to explore i, I know it wasn't really in the pitch but yeah. i think there is a lot more mileage to that character depending on how much i wanted to extend the story and i'm still undecided about sure. that. Certainly if it was to stretch to a TV pilot, it would need that. One of the things that that's intriguing and I mean, I think that has incredible potential again, didn't come out in the context of the, uh, of the pitch coming out and I understand time constraints. I get it. 
Um, but this is definitely padding out to be a much larger uh, uh, story than just a short or even necessarily maybe even a novella. Um, one one problem with He Is the City and the getting of an info chip is that we've already seen that info chips uh, uh, are, are not a thing anymore. Uh, uh, if you're trying to get your identity off the internet, you're you're going to need yeah. to put something into it, not take something out of it. Um, also, yeah. the, the more global notion, uh, the notion that somebody is a city, uh, again, I can only assume that as we go forward, pending or, or, or not allowing for any catastrophe or post-apocalyptic mayhem, uh, that we are going to continue a, uh, working a global framework. So maybe instead of the city, maybe we can start working with some sort of conceptual corporate entity of some kind. Uh, which could actually be very cool. Um, Another, just a couple of quick notes. Uh, Zur swallowing the chip, even though we've pretty much determined that it can't be a chip, uh, uh, was brilliant and awesome and a wonderful way to ensure that they don't kill each other on sight. Uh, I just really liked that. Um, And the notion of Absalon sending all his agents to be gunned down by local authorities, that seems foolish to me. Uh, the, uh, unless he can absolutely ensure that everybody dies, uh, the the danger, and, and even if they do die, the danger of fingerprinting and the tracking of, of bio trackers and all of those things, putting all of the bad guys in one place for the authorities to find and look for commonalities <laughs> between seems to indicate he's pointing a big finger back at him, which maybe his big end game that could be the big reversal uh, at the end uh, or you know yeah so that was those those are my first impressions i really like this thing richard let's let's dive into this uh kid where do you want to start shall we shall we start thematically uh, uh character wise where what's your pleasure ma'am there's so many things that are interesting and worth talking about here um mm-hmm. but i think actually i want to start with uh, this setting um which set which asked the question and you just brought that up uh the question of is this science fiction because right now it doesn't need to be uh and generally speaking if it is science fiction we also this world is going to have to be much more futuristic than it currently is even even for things like television which has sort of different standards than than um, British science fiction because you guys lead the way as far as doing intelligent science fiction right now yes uh, so so I'm looking at this saying I want to feel that the complications of the world built into the plot uh, and that's why Probably not a chip. Uh, probably a good question. How, why bring all these people into a room together to be found by the authorities? And the answer could be something super skeevy, super sketchy, like having falsely planted fa- uh, a trail back to somebody else that he wants mm. taken out. Mm. But uh, but whatever it is, um, the first answer can't be the right answer because that's the one everybody is expecting. It has to be the second answer. So one question is, what kind of an alternate Earth is this? Is this a future science fiction world where we've moved past scarcity, moved past environmental concerns? Or is this a world which we're doing a lot in movies these days, which is just sort of uh, saying, we, we get it. We get all that stuff is there, but we're going to tell a story without really engaging with the environmental or with the, the population issues or things like that. Real quickly, Richard, any thoughts on that? Yeah, all, all good questions. Uh, the, the sci-fi angle is something, again, that I had to kind of trim down from the pitch, um, but is, I think, intrinsic to the world. Um, it's I'm a big fan of June and the Butlerian Jihad in June. You're kind of mm-hmm. going past the computing-based artificial intelligence reliance 
almost right. back to legacy technology. And the, the data chip is, as you pointed out, a legacy technology. But in the cloud-based uh, networked pervasive internet environment, uh, you know, the security breaches are, uh, you know, infamous. That's something I wanted to weave into the story that cloud-based uh, systems are, are, are failing. And so there is this uh, kind of turn back in a more covert sense towards legacy uh, technologies. I'm also keen to weave in the thread about transhumanism and uh, augmented physicality because this is something that puts a pressure on the agents. They need the tech in order to be successful in their job, but it's very costly. Uh, so, you know, you have different agents that have augmented themselves in different ways. And I wanted that to contrast more with Zuresk, who's kind of eschewed some of these augmentations. She doesn't believe in them. She kind of trusts herself and her own judgment in situations rather than have a computer feed running AI kind of telling her what her next action should be. Okay. Uh, and, and that's the contrast really with Yavi, who is kind of brought up in this environment and hasn't seen uh, the world in its current state of technological evolution. She can't remember what it was like before, whereas Jurek can. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I did want the sci-fi theme in there, but I can see entirely your point. It's, it's got to justify itself. Sure. So, Al, uh, what about you, sir? Uh, Kidge raises an excellent point, and, and I'm, I'm intrigued by what Richard uh, is envisioning for this story as well. What's your take on the, the genre that we're, the, the, the stage that we're setting this story? My take on it is, from, certainly from my perspective, there are kind of two ways you can take this. And the first is the very kind of odd, modern to futuristic medieval kind of aesthetic that the John Wick movies have. Hmm. And I, I, I get a little bit of a John Wick ping from this, the, um, you know, the, the, the shadow economy that runs the city, that kind of thing. The other way that I could see this running is absolutely 100% cyberpunk. And <laughs> that's, the, that's a genre that's largely refused to go away across the last few years and has evolved in some really interesting ways. And I mean, with, the um, Netflix version of Altered Carbon landing next year, and all of, and a couple of other things. It's something which is very much on the cultural radar at the moment. Now, if you were to go that way, there are two, in fact, solutions mm -hmm. to the central MacGuffin. Mm -hmm. And the extra I mentioned that you were you are perhaps looking for between your two protagonists, which might be worth considering. And this the extra MacGuffin solution is. What if you go in the opposite direction? What if instead of this being a data chip or something that's encrypted, it's a ledger? It is a hard copy ledger of every awful thing this man has ever done. I would love that, actually. <laughs> and the other possibility regarding your two assassins, and there's a whole branching, almost tree of, of ways you could approach this. But what if Yavi is a newer model as opposed to an individual? And I mean, the, the most logical way to do this is replicants. What's perhaps rather more interesting is if they are both drawn from the same genetic material, or if Yavi has a certain amount of Zeresk's genetic material. Hmm. So you have the kind of old busted up model, brand new hotness thing going on. You also have a complex familial dynamic. Now, if you fold in the idea that perhaps only one of them is aware of that, that adds something else on top of it as well. 
Right. And this would help with one of the questions that I have, um, because right now, being told that somebody has a partner in a family doesn't sell anything to me. But by having Yavi and Zaresk uh, in conversation about something that's more immediate than having a family. So having a family, having people I love. Do you think I don't have people I care about? That conversation would be interesting, but, but the claustrophobia of looking at each other is more compelling than being told that somebody has a family outside. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by the almost parental spin that we've put on Zeresque. Uh, actually, not almost parental, truly parental uh, in, the, in the context of, of contributing DNA. You know, maybe Yavi is, you know, maybe Yavi's a grown person, uh, a, a vat, a, a clone. Uh, maybe that's the way people are, are created now. I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting hung up on your uh, concept. I'm picturing almost a, a Battlestar Galactica, uh, the networks are bad uh, dystopia kind of thing, uh, which would then allow for the notion of a city uh, and an info chip or a ledger of, of comprehensive badness. Um I'm not sure where I'm going with that. <laughs> but, Just end with the period. Yes, period. Done. There we go. Done. Handing off to you, kids. Uh, yes. Uh, thinking about the characters. Uh, I like the fact they're both, uh, both female, both women. And I like the fact that they're at different stages in their life. Um, my, one of my heads up about this was what I just brought up, that I have some Right now, I don't believe that Yavi is a family person. This is a shitty job for a family person. And um, I am willing to believe that people take marginal jobs, but I'm not convinced yet that this person is taking this job. Um, But mostly, um, what I'm curious about is Zeresk, who I think uh, can be managed properly, could be a fascinating character. Um, but she's going to have to be managed carefully because um, being a, sort of a lonely, old, bitter assassin female is something that uh, could become a type pretty easily. Mm. So she's going to have to have more going on for her than just that she's bitter and she's at the end of her game. One of the things I actually like a lot about this is that she doesn't know, but she doesn't have to be a woman. Um, so there aren't any sort of gender assumptions being built into the character. Um, what I'm afraid of is that in the course of writing it, gender assumptions might start to build into it. Um, but I find her really, why is she in her forties and doesn't have anything to show for it yet? Does she, has she gambled the money away? Does she give it away? Um, why is she, why is she irresponsible enough to have gotten to this stage without, without some kind of safety net? That's intriguing. It, it could actually be that she's she hasn't been irresponsible. One one of the things that was brought out in the pitch was that she fears her past, and and she's you know in this episode that we've we've been treated to, uh, she's pursuing redemption of some kind. Maybe she's been doing that all along. Maybe maybe Yavi's maybe. continued existence is because Zeresk has been paying the right people and allowing the right individuals to, to stay away from her and keep her alive. Or Zeresk has been retired and is coming back because of, uh, because she needs money now of all times or because something else is going on. Mm. Um, uh, that's another thought too. Or maybe she is the kind of person who gambles and drinks it away because that's always, that's a classic, character type that we've seen before Mm -hmm. but it's also a very relatable character type al what about you thoughts uh, yeah too the other thing that struck me about zaresk as as kids was talking 
which might be a really interesting way to go, is I, I keep circling back to something which I don't think is a bug. I think it's a feature, but I think you need to position <laughs> it as such. You That's talked a lot about, so true. Uh, you, you talked a lot about how Bethlehem is going legit, basically, and that he's cleaning house. He's removing all the terrible stuff that he's done and all the people who he's had do terrible stuff for him. He's going legit. Zaresk is burning out. She is a veteran. Why is she not just standing still and going legit with him? Mm. And the more I, I think about this, the more I think there are really two ways you could use this. The first is you could actually make that overt and Faustian. Mm, yeah, I'd love that. That if you have this situation where, you know, these two women have this data chip, the and you know the obvious angle for uh, Yavi is is you know you give this to me or I'll kill your family. The obvious angle for Zeresk is you give this to me, I'll give you a house, I'll give you a nine to five job and a new identity, and you never see me again. I'll give you everything you want, mm. and that's really compelling, especially if you folded in some kind of interrelation between the two women as well, because. You have two things going on there. You have Zeresk being given everything she's wanted, but soaked in blood. Mm-hmm. And you also have a very insidious means of generating antagonism between your two leads. Let's imagine, just riffing on that, let's imagine also a possibility that Zeresk is... Zeresk was being sent to finish all of these people, that she actually is the only person who knows the deal, that her job is to kill everyone. Mm. And uh, that her job is to kill everyone. She's pretty sure she'll get killed afterwards, um, or maybe not. Maybe she thinks she can game it and get out, or maybe he's promised she won't. But that would be a possibility, too. The idea then that Yavi's personality becomes really important, um, and Zarisk's uh, sort of personality that then you can pretty much do anything when you put the two of them in a room together and it's going to be interesting. I, and, and just to wax more riffing on that, um, uh, you know, assuming then that Zeresk is, is Absalon's, you know, right hand fixer person, you know, Ms. Wolf, uh, going in and taking care of business. Uh, what if, what if, the end game for Zeresk is once this is all done, that she's going to cap Absalon and that mm-hmm. is going to be her final bid for, for freedom and redemption. But what if, and again, the idea that putting something in the system rather than taking it out, what if Absalon puts something in the system that's ultimately good? That he somehow arranges some sort of biometric thing. As long as I keep my hand on this desk, this thing that I unleashed in the system uh, uh, is going to continue to do good works. Or the opposite. If I take my hand off, it's going to blow up the the, the, the the internet or whatever. And then having Yavi thinking she's helping Zeresk at the end, killing Absalon and creating the cataclysm inadvertently there. I mean, that's dark. I know that's dark, <laughs> but could be fun. Dark is fun. Well, and that's an interesting uh, twist on the kill switch too, because we've seen the kill switch a million times, but a kill switch that is like, um, I'm increasing the value. You know, the, the stock market is going up every second. My hand is on this. Right, switch. Right. The minute we take it off, it crashes. Um, that's, you could do something way more interesting than the stock yes, market, but, exactly. but that is an interesting idea. Yep. Yep. Al, what do you think? Absolutely. And 
the thing which I find really interesting about these last couple of ideas that, that you and Kate have come up with is I can see echoes of them in the pitch that Richard has presented. The thing I love about Zeresk is you've built, as I perceive her, and with in fact with both of them, you've built these women, and it's not, and it's brilliant that they're both women, as has already been said, in the exact opposite direction that anybody else would, and as a result, they're infinitely right. more interesting. Yes, right. You know, I, I I love that. Uh, I, I really like the idea that the younger one is the responsible one with a family who's worried about stuff, and the older one is the one who could give a. You know, right. <laughs> you know, the older I get, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're not yeah. going to be protagonists of our own story. Right. <laughs> and when when you 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 mentioned that the data chip thing, I just had this sudden very clear image of her being held at gunpoint, eating it, and Yavi just going seriously (laughs) (laughs) and then pulling out the you know the monofilament knife saying you're just slowing things down and then the alarm's going off it's very visceral yeah actually it it, it's a very scenic moment um it does bring up the the plot issue the one crux i currently have i can't get past which is the idea that um Yavi has a gun on Zeresk, and then Zeresk draws a concealed weapon, and yet, nevertheless, Yavi is still capable of making her leave at gunpoint. Um, there's a there's a bobble in the plot there, which is easy to fix, but right now it, it sort of puts the entire rest of the story into a frame where you're like, clearly Zeresk doesn't want to live, because otherwise she would have just shot Yavi or knifed Yavi <laughs> with the whatever that concealed weapon was. Um, so, but this actually the idea that maybe Zarisk is working for Absalom, that de- that's actually legit, that she would conceal the, we- the weapon. She would yeah. not show and- it because she wants to get Yavi out of there. Sure. And, and the idea of the MacGuffin being a sugar pill, everybody thinks it's this big chip and, and you know, <laughs> Zarisk Zarisk is the only person who knows that it's actually a confection that she can swallow whole and it's not going to damage it. <laughs> there are so many perspectives, so many facets of this jewel, Richard. Uh, it's yeah. it's uh, uh, just <laughs> astonishing. Look, guys, I'm, I'm watching the clock tick down. And as, as much as it breaks my heart and as much as I feel like there's there's more to explore in here, uh, I, I need as, as, as the parent, I'm going to play the parent at this point. We need to start wrapping this up. So what I'd like to do at this point is is to take us once more around the table, do one more once around and, and just give some <laughs> final thoughts, some considerations, some ideas that you couldn't uh, put out because we ran out of time or, or we're holding back for the big reveal or whatever. Uh, Give, give give Richard some literary gold that he can take with him so he can go and write this story, screenplay, graphic novel, whatever it ends up being. Um, Kinch, if it's okay, we'll start with you. Uh, final okay. thoughts for Richard. I love the fact that this is a story about two strong assassin women uh, basically dealing with a problem that a man has set up. So thank you for that. <laughs> I also love the fact that there's a protagonist that uh, I can relate to, which is not always the ca- case, but Zarisk is somebody, she's a middle-aged woman at the top of her game, and I adore that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also very, very much love the uh, the c- potential for conflict, putting two interesting characters into a situation like this. And uh, the last thing, the last piece of new information I would give you with just that. Um, I think that, I don't know, I just think you should write it. I think it would be a fantastic graphic novel. Um, and actually some of the s- stuff about the plot would be covered or be dealt with by the fact that the images would be there for us. Mm-hmm. 
Excellent point. Agreed. Al, what about you, sir? Final thoughts for Richard? I think you've got something really fun here. And I think the core of the, the fun and the smart lives in the interaction between those two characters. And were I in, in your position, and I'm, I'm acutely aware you have very similar tastes to me, so you've probably already hit these anyway. <laughs> I, I would take a look at a bunch of mismatched partner stories and dissect them, work out what you like about them and what you don't, and steal what you like. Uh, because I think that will help develop the central engine, which is the way these two women relate to one another. And I think everything else, they're going to find for you once you've got them polished and good to go. Mm-hmm. Agreed. For myself, Richard, oh, God, I, I concur with everything that has been said. Do write this. It's it's it, it needs, there's a story here that needs to be told, and we're still evolving what exactly that is. Um, there are so many... Uh, uh, you know the discussion about what genre uh, this is going to fall under sci-fi does it matter so on and so forth I think I, I'm with Al I, I see cyberpunk all over this uh, uh, and that's partially because of personal desires and delights uh, uh, with that particular genre but when you start talking about transhumanism when you start talking about ubiquitous communications and cloud data and, and the the, the potential for inhumanity, uh, that that is all sort of, that's, that's sort of the dread that we're dealing with in the modern age. Uh, uh, the, bio, the biometrics, how many uh, uh, cybernetic enhancements can you get and still be considered human? Uh, and that's actually being addressed in other environments. But finding what those are, what those terrors are, uh, uh, and, and using them as... Uh, a lens, I guess, to to magnify aspects of Yavi's plight, of Zeresk's plight, even Absalon's plight. Uh, you know, one contrast that struck me is, you know, Avi and Zeresk are very much trying to keep a low profile and stay in the shadows. Their jobs are built on no one knowing them, whereas uh, uh, Absalon is the polar opposite, which for some reason I find fascinating. The 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 difference between... Don't look at me, and you must look at me. Uh, has has something that I, I I can't explain beyond that. But just don't put that on the table. Make of it what you will. Um, but yes, I I must concur. Uh, uh, as has been said, write the story, make it happen. Uh, this this I'm looking forward to reading it. Now look, Richard, um, we're gonna help you with this. We here at the Archivos Podcast Network are not about just giving you words and sending you on your way. Oh no, good sir. Uh, for your for your time, your suffering, uh, and your, uh, uh, your, your, your good sportsmanship-ish, uh, we are going to bestow upon you, sir, a free year of the Archivos story development application. It'll be a Oh, wow. Thank, Thank you so much. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Thank and, you. And can I just say, Kidge, Al, Dave, it's been a blast. I've really enjoyed it. My brain is on fire, but I'm definitely <laughs> going to write this story. I've got so much to think about. So thank you for all your oh, insight. Good. Outstanding, Richard. That's that's a wonderful thing. That That's kind of why we're here. So you've helped me fulfill the mandate of the Archivos Podcast Network. And Kidge, Richard's right. This was this was awesome and epic. Thank you so much for for bringing your A game, bringing your experience and your insights and your your enthusiasm into that brainstorm. It was absolutely splendid. 
Oh, thank you. I really had a pleasure uh, doing it. Or I really, whatever, you know that sentence. (laughs) I do do know that sentence. (laughs) Um, So thank you for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I will tell you as a token of our appreciation, Kij, we're also going to bestow upon you a free year of of the Archivos Archivos podcast, of the Archivos story development tool uh, to see if that's something you, you know, certainly under no obligation. But I think given your... Uh, uh, desire for documentation and mapping, uh, you you might find something interesting to be had in there. So we will. It sounds fascinating. We will pass it on to you, uh, and we can go on from there. Hopefully, wonderful things happen. Al, my my companion uh, uh, from across the pond and of the Potosphere, uh, as always, a delight to enter the brainstorming arena with you again. Uh, uh, I'm serious. Very shortly here, early in 2018, we need to have you back as a guest host uh, so that we can properly regale the world with your uh, accomplishments and delights of recent years. So thank you so much. I would love that, Dave. And thank you so much for having me on. I always have a blast. <laughs> you bet. Absolutely. <laughs> so do we. And friends, as long as we're doling out the gratitude, thank you for hitting that play button. Because without you, we're just four people on a Skype line, which is actually pretty awesome, and we covered pretty some great awesome. ground. But by clicking that play button, you became infected with the virus of literary gold. You caught the spark. Hopefully, your brain is just as on fire as Richard's is right now. Uh, so if you're digging it, if you're loving that spark, Feel free to pay it forward. Spread the word. Share a Facebook post. Retweet a tweet. Let the word know about the Archivos Podcast Network and the awesomeness that we're doing here. And geez, Louise, I changed my shirt and I'm still sweating. I am just drenched. <laughs> Inevitably, uh, I'm just I'm spent at the end of these things. But friends, like like a phoenix from the ashes. Uh, in 14 days, we're gonna start this all over again. We're gonna have another. Fabulous guest host pouring wisdom into our ears. Another courageous guest writer dropping a a story bomb on the world that we can brainstorm the heck out of. More Archivos podcast goodness for all. But it's 14 days. That's two weeks. Holy crap. I know that's a long time. Alistair, can you help us out, brother? What what can our listeners do over two weeks to make the time fly? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Here's the thing, folks. 2017 is a year where the garbage fire fairy has dumped flaming tires on every single one of our lawns. <laughs> there is no guarantee that it will not do that again. And oh. that's fine in the sense that it's not. But the most important thing to take away from this, from the whole endless 365-day slog this year has often seemed like, is this. You need to relax. You need to take time for yourself. So... Those 14 days, you want to work, work. You want to write, write. There's something on Netflix that you haven't seen yet, but you want to, watch it. If there's something you feel like you really shouldn't, but you kind of want to, you know, (laughs) one of those cinematic pizza kind of situations, trust me. Practice belligerent self-care because none of us do it enough and you deserve it. Belligerent self-care. That is the prescription for the new millennia. Yes, I like it. Yes. I like that a lot. And I will tell you, friends, as I always do, that, you know, you find what you're looking for. So if you're looking for chill time, 
<laughs> if you're looking for top shelf blue label goodness, if you're looking for that present that somehow elusively fell behind the Christmas tree, look for that stuff. Seek it out actively and with intent. And if you do, dear friends, I promise you, you'll find it. We will be back in just two weeks, gang. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of Archivos Brainstorms is copyright 2017 by WonderThink Studios and is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike 4.0 International License. To find out what that means and how you can use this content in your own presentations, visit www.creativecommons.org. Theme music for this episode of Archivos Brainstorms was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation, or just learn more about the Archivos Podcast Network, visit our website at www.archivos.digital and click the podcast link. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at podcast at archivos.digital. Thanks for listening.